welcome to The Function Room. I'm Colm O'Regan, comedian, author and broadcaster, and, if I make more than one of these, podcaster. This is my first ever podcast. The Function Room is about the numbers, the sums, the maths, that defines, runs, shapes, changes, begins, ends, everything's our lives and the world around us. These shells are hard to pry apart. Five puzzled otters side. So five side. How many's left from six? Um, which ones are... Is this five? That's the five there, yeah. And how many are left? One. So five plus one is... Um... Seven. That's Ruby making her first small steps in sums. Numbers grow at a nice normal pace for her at the moment, but already she's started asking some awkward questions like, when do numbers stop? To be honest, I'd rather she asked where babies came from or where do we go when we die, because the questions posed by maths are bigger, often more mind-blowing than anything as mundane as the afterlife. And even as I go along these early one-plus-one steps with her, I find a small inner voice saying, well, what is a one or a two? Like, is it is it a number? Is it a thing? Does maths just float in midair? And then, at what point do we stop thinking like that or asking questions like that? Just because, oh, look, just get your homework done and go to bed because I want to watch Succession. If that sounds like a bit of a strange direction for a comedian and writer of novels about Tidy Towns committee members fighting with Saudi businessmen, Hollywood stars and the alt-right. Well, in a previous life, I studied to be a civil engineer. I never practised as one, maybe for everyone's benefit, but I did like it. And even though the maths was really hard and I often wasn't very good at it, uh, I got lost in the maths, sometimes in a bad way, but sometimes in a good way like the maths of how a fridge works or how to know whether your tea would cool faster if you put the milk in early or late or how to know whether this imaginary chain that's on a table, at what point would it slip off the table? I mean, okay, look, it's not everyone's bag, but still the idea that you could model the world around you with a biro and a piece of paper, that has always fascinated me. For this brief moment when I was studying, I I understood stuff. I had some of the keys to some of the outer rooms of secrets to, well, okay, not life, the universe and everything, but chains falling off tables. I've forgotten all of it since then, but somewhere within me is a need to understand that stuff once more. Maybe it's the recent collapse of most of my work because of the COVID. I'm just trying to feel useful again. And also, according to the laws of the universe, eventually... Everyone starts a podcast. By the way, for future episodes, I promise the introduction won't be as long as this. I'll get right to the point, I swear. The point at the moment is that the news is full of maths. COVID-19 is a grim teacher about modelling and statistics and risk analysis. Maths formalists spit out the news headlines. And then in parallel, you've a load of spoons who suddenly become experts online in the last six months. Spoons like me. The reproductive number of my half-arse opinions has been above one for quite some time now, and the only treatment, it seems, is for me to interview people who know what they're talking about. So that's the point of the function room, is shedding a little bit of light on the numbers that move the world around us.
We'll even talk about the maths of spoons if you want. But this first episode has another bit of panda maths. It's about exponential growth, which is how a virus grows, horror movie-like, through a population. At the start, we discuss just why there's a lot of maths around the place at the moment, and then we talk exponential. The episode is called They Grow Up So Fast, and my guest is the author of The Maths of Life and Death. He's Kit Yates. Yeah, so I'm a senior lecturer in mathematical biology at the University of Bath, and I'm also the author of a book called The Maths of Life and Death. The coronavirus epidemic, in a way, is mathematical biology writ large, isn't right. it? Exactly. I think we've we've suddenly mathematicians have been catapulted into the into the media spotlight because actually we've started to talk about things like exponential growth as an everyday conversation over the dinner table. Um, we're talking about reproduction numbers. We're talking about case fatality rates. We're talking about statistics and tests and cases. Maths is at the forefront of how we react to this pandemic and, and how we move forward, whether we can unlock things, how quickly we need to act. So maths really is everywhere. And it's sort of a bizarre experience to see your sort of subject area, which you've maybe perceived as being a bit of a backwater, catapulted into the limelight so suddenly. How do you feel? Do you feel like this is a band you discovered long ago and now everybody's listening to their music? Uh, <laughs> you knew it before right, it was cool. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, it's great though. It's it, For me, it's fantastic because it answers the questions that you get from kids in school. Why are we learning this? Why are we learning about exponential growth? When are we going to need that? And actually, you need it to understand how the, the pandemic is going to spread and grow. You need to know how fast it's going. And so this is the answer to all those kids who are bored at the back of the classroom, why you're doing maths. It's precisely for this reason. What have you learned yourself in the last six months about your own job or your own subject area uh, now that you have, in a way, this petri dish of mathematicians all working together? Yeah, I, th- I feel like I've learned a lot about about the, the subject. So I'm a mathematical biologist and uh, and as part of the, the, the book that I wrote, I did write a chapter on mathematical epidemiology called How to Stop an Epidemic. But even even uh, having done that research, I've still learned loads and loads of new stuff about mathematical epidemiology, even though this is sort of my my type of area. Uh, but I've also have, uh, it's been a great opportunity not to be too opportunistic. Uh, it's obviously a really serious subject, but it's been a great opportunity to communicate mathematics to an audience that maybe wouldn't have been perceptive to it before. So I, that's what I've been doing for the last six months is just trying to explain some of the ideas behind uh, the spread of the epidemic and how we can tackle it to to people who maybe aren't as mathematically literate. I asked you on the function room to talk about uh, specifically exponential growth. And when I was uh, reading your chapter, uh, the chapter in your book on it, and even thinking about it uh, maybe a month ago, the number of cases here in Ireland was quite low. There was no evidence of any exponent exponents going on. Mm. And now in the last couple of weeks, we are experiencing uh, almost the scary power of exponential growth. There are uh, meat factories here, mm. which uh, reported uh, on day one, we'll say, uh, one case, nothing for three days, two cases. And then they test again and they find they have 200 cases or 150 cases. And... There's something about that scary growth that's almost horror movie-like. And that's the kind of glimpse of exponential growth, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Exponential growth, when it's when it's growing quickly, really can be incredibly rapid and it can be incredibly scary as well. And, and you can't take your eye off the ball, especially at the early stages of an epidemic when, you know, every person is passing the disease on to three other people on average. If that's the value of, of R, which is this, this so-called reproduction numbers, it's three, then it means that cases can get out of hand really quite quickly. So you do have to keep an eye on it. And, and exponential growth can be incredibly quick. Just to step back, so uh, because exponential is a word, and I'm sure I've misused it plenty of times to mean just, oh, it's going mad, it's getting right. big. What is exponential growth? Where might, and where might we have seen it before? This? Right. So, so technically, mathematically, something grows exponentially when it increases in proportion to its current size. And similarly, something decays exponentially when it decreases in proportion to its current size. So, for example, if you leave your milk out on the side with the lid off, a single bacterium cell might fall into it. And that bacterium in this ideal situation of this nice fatty milk can then start to double every uh, every maybe 20 minutes so you maybe get three doublings in an hour so that's eight cells and then in the next hour you get another three doublings so that's 64 cells and then it, you know it can continue on like this until you have millions and potentially trillions of bacteria in your milk which then cause it to go off that's sort of, sort of a low level uh, example of exponential growth but we also see it all over the place in things like pyramid schemes so the person at the top invites two of their mates to invest some money give it to them all they have to do to get a recoup is to get two more people each to invest and this this goes down but each level you down the pyramid you get doubling of the number of people you need to keep it going which eventually means it's growing very quickly and and the the pyramid scheme eventually collapses so exponential growth is technically when something grows in proportion to its current size but as you said there's, it's also important to understand what exponential growth isn't. So I googled a few sort of stories and looked for the word exponential on the news. And there's one about batteries, which said there's been an exponential breakthrough in capacity uh, and costs of batteries. And actually, it doesn't really make sense because exponential isn't just a one off event. It's actually a dynamic process. It happens over time. There's one about phones, which said sales of smartphones are so rapid that it can be considered an exponential sale. Now, rapid growth can be exponential growth and exponential growth can be rapid but the two aren't synonymous with each other there really has to be a reason why that rapid growth is occurring in proportion to whatever it is that's currently happening to make it exponential so exponential isn't always fast and fast almost always isn't exponential and also growth in phones can be lumpy uh, as well like it could you could have a good saturday and then nothing for a month kind of thing yeah exactly so i think um things aren't always perfectly exponential so if we're talking about disease spread again so we we talked about this basic reproduction number the average number of people that a newly infected person will pass the disease onto while they're infected typically we say that that's that's about three for covid maybe maybe a bit higher but not everyone is going to infect three other people some people will infect four or five some people will only infect one or two or maybe even even none but actually when you average out over a large enough population you can start to see this predictable exponential curve the same is true with you know people having children we we would say that you know the average people have two point average couple have 2.4 children obviously that doesn't make any sense in reality some people have fewer some people have more but if you've got a big enough population then you can you can sort of smooth over these differences and you start to see this this smooth exponential curve coming out of out of the out of the data it's funny uh you were talking about pyramid schemes and we all think we would never 
uh, get trapped in one. But even the platform that we're recording this on, Zencaster, uh, encourages me to try a new beta version for video conferencing. And it says uh, you are X number in the queue for being allowed to try it out. But if you forward this on to uh, a number of people, you'll move up the queue. And I was very tempted. (laughs) It's a benign pyramid because we're only talking about getting to try new video software. But they clearly understand the power of getting lots of people to make one small decision and yeah. the multiplier effect of that. Exactly. I mean, this is exactly what happens with with viral viral growth. And that's why we call it viral growth, because it grows, you know, phenomena on social media when you get one person sharing to two people and they share it to two more people and so on. Then you get this this exponential growth. I don't know if you remember the, the ice bucket challenge from a few years yeah. ago. This is a classic example of a, a an exponentially growing phenomena on social media the idea was that you had a bucket of ice thrown over your head and then you could nominate two or three other mates to do the same. And then if you did the challenge, if you got the ice bucket thrown over your head, you could donate like $10, $10 to this charity. But if you didn't, then you had to donate a larger amount. And it spread like wildfire because it was hot in, in the Northern Hemisphere. It was summertime. People enjoyed doing it. It was fun. They got to look altruistic by giving money to charity. It, was all, it wasn't about them having fun. It was actually about a, a bigger cause. Uh, and so it, this, this phenomenon spread. But actually, just like a virus, when the temperature started to get cool, the 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 ice bucket challenge faded away. It, it's totally seasonal, like like the flu virus is, in that it wasn't so fun to have a bucket of ice poured over you in September and October. So it, it actually eventually slowed down and, and died out. So there's there's huge parallels between yeah the spread of disease and other sort of viral phenomena, which of course is why we call them viral phenomena. And in the ice bucket challenge as well, too, presumably that virus ran out of susceptible hosts, the number of people who are likely to want to dump a bucket of ice over their head, regardless of weather. Uh, there wasn't, there were other, it's, it's, yeah. it's great the way you've described it. You can imagine it as this perfect curve being ruined by factors such sure. as weather, whether yeah. people give a shit anymore, yeah. <laughs> running out of uh, the type of people who do that kind of thing. Exactly. If you look, I suppose you can see these kind of functions everywhere yeah yeah i mean it's important to remember that in reality exponential growth can't go on forever right in in cancer exponential growth is the hallmark of cancer but even in cancer where cells are growing in an unrestricted way eventually you know it it can't go on forever it runs out of resources populations we often think of as growing exponentially the human population but eventually there's there's a carrying capacity the population runs out of resources and it can't continue to grow forever and and the same is true of almost every exponential phenomenon and like you said with the disease eventually the reason diseases run out even die out even if you don't take interventions is because they run out of new susceptible people to infect and the same is true of these viral phenomena the the, you know people are no longer susceptible they become immune to these diseases because uh to these these viral phenomena because they they get bored of them effectively so yeah eventually all exponential phenomena start to slow down there's there's no such thing as exponential growth indefinitely who would have first spotted the power of exponentiation and things growing basically the worse things are the faster they get even worse all of that that power is this something that we've been aware of as a species for a long time yeah or is it something that goes back into antiquity yeah it's pretty it's pretty old school actually so um people in ancient egypt understood 
about geometric series, which is where the, the next term in the series is some multiple of the previous term. So that's basically exponential growth. There's some constant ratio uh, multiplying the terms to get from one to the other. In Sumeria as well, uh, they had there's evidence of these clay tablets where they used to set each other challenges and problems on, and, and they talk about exponential growth. In ancient Babylon, they paid interest, so they had to understand exponential growth, and they asked questions about how long will it take this sum of money to double if I can leave it alone in the bank account. Archimedes in ancient Greece understood it. And then more recently, back in the 1200s, there was um, Fibonacci, maybe heard of the Fibonacci sequence, yeah. which he, you know, he posed the problem in terms of, of rabbits at the population. He had this pair of breeding rabbits, which would uh, give birth every month. And then it would take a month for the next pair to come to maturity and then they would be able to breed. And so he found that the, the number of breeding pairs of rabbits increased. It was like one for the first month. And then there was one in the second month still because the second pair hadn't come to maturity. And then there were two in the next month and then all you had to do to get the next month was add the previous two numbers so it was one and two gives you three in the next month and then two and three gives you five in the next month and five and three gives you eight in the next month and so on and this effectively when you get to big enough numbers is a really nice smooth exponential growth so he understood it and then we developed the notation for it in about the 17th century. And then this chap, this English clergyman called Thomas Malthus came along in the 19th century and he recognised that exponential growth was happening in populations and in particular in the human population. He was a bit of a doomsayer. So he said, you know, eventually we're just going to grow up so rapidly that we're going to run out of resources and, and basically loads of people are going to die. But he didn't foresee the, you know, the industrial revolution, the agricultural revolution, which allowed us to increase the carrying capacity of the population and to sustain a bigger population. But eventually, you know, if exponential growth goes on long enough, we'll run out of resources. So in some senses, he was absolutely right. Uh, even thinking about uh, Maltos and saying, oh, uh, we're all going, it's it's all going to hell in a handcart. <laughs> um, you know, we, people are going to destroy themselves in a way like, like a, a virus. It kind of it made me think that say with ex when you're watching something grow exponentially, yeah. there's almost a phase of ignoring it. Then it's too late. Then there's panic, and then there's fatalism. Whereas in the world of uh, treating pandemics or dealing with any anything that involves exponential, it's about analyzing what can you do to tweak growth so mm -hmm. that it doesn't explode is that right yeah I, I think that's absolutely right so um like i i've been studying the the epidemic in the uk quite a lot and um it's possible that the the politicians didn't didn't properly understand the exponential growth or at least they didn't really understand how fast it was growing and what we could have done to try and mitigate it a bit earlier so we know that this reproduction number tells you whether something is growing or not. So if it's above one, then each person will pass the disease on to one more person, at least one more person on average, and they'll pass it on to at least one more person and so on. So it'll grow exponentially. And if it's below one, then uh, the, each person will pass it on to fewer than one other person on average and, and it will decay. Um, but actually what the, the reproduction number doesn't tell you is how fast that process is happening. So if if the infectious period is over a number of years, like a disease like tuberculosis, for example, then an R0 or three maybe isn't that worrying because you you know it's not going to grow that rapidly. But obviously with COVID, it's it's sort of around a week it takes to pass on the on the disease, and so cases are going to increase much more rapidly. And I think that's something that that at least in the UK we massively underestimated. I think 
uh, back in the 12th of March, Patrick Vallance, who's the chief scientific advisor to the government, was suggesting that we were about four weeks behind Italy. And this was based on a doubling time of about six days. Uh, so in exponential growth, the number of cases doubles um, regularly. And so he was suggesting it was every six days. But in reality, it was more like every three days, which meant we were more like two weeks behind Italy than four weeks. And actually, we thought we had more time than we did. And that might have contributed to this delay in locking down. And when things are genuinely growing exponential, making a mistake like that can can be devastating, basically, because you miss how quickly it's growing and you don't take action in time. You almost need to take action before you think that you need to, if you like, because things are growing so quickly. So if one thing comes out of all of this, because this isn't the first uh, pandemic we've had in modern times, there have been a number of them. I just don't remember as much. Maybe it's it's, it's a Northwest hemispherical centric mm, sure. view. I don't remember as much talk about the maths, uh, the exponential of disease when uh, the Chinese and the Hong Kongese and, and people in the Far East yeah. were dealing with previous pandemics. Is this one thing that will come out of it, which is every second counts when it comes to things growing that fast, when you've got the, the power, uh, the little yeah. power, the little number above the X? Yeah, I hope so. I think this is something that we need to learn. I think, I mean, part of the reason why the math hasn't become so prevalent in the past is because you know, the swine flu pandemic back in 2009, the infection fatality rate, the proportion of people who got it w- that would die was nowhere near as high as it is with COVID. So the potential risks with COVID are so much higher. And then with things like MERS and SARS, they were actually stamped on, fortunately, relatively quickly and never really made it across the whole of the globe. So like you say, we in in the in the West were actually relatively unprepared for this because we hadn't experienced this rapid spreading of disease whereas actually in in some of the other countries like japan like places like vietnam they've been able to to um to get on top of this really quickly because they've seen something like this uh before but yeah for me if we can get if we can take a lesson from this understanding how rapid exponential growth really can be is 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 a huge lesson to learn we were talking earlier about how people with your skills are more in demand uh, recently. Uh, yesterday, you were talking at a conference on locusts. Yeah. Were you talking about a similar type of maths when you were talking about the behavior of locusts eating crops in the way that uh, tiny, tiny sure. viruses with crowns on top reproduce on humans uh so no i was talking about something a little bit different but actually the the beauty of my job as a mathematical biologist is that i can yeah you can use the same techniques to understand all sorts of different areas so in particular i'm interested in where randomness can can play a role in in biology and actually that could be anything from the, the way that locusts use randomness to stay aligned in their swarm to the way that animals get their pigmentation patterns and 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 make them more interesting through randomness or the way that molecules move around in the cell but yesterday i, I was i was sitting in on this conference and listening to the other talks and i was uh, sort of startled by how often people were talking about exponential growth in the number of locusts because they were just saying well you know each locust gives rise to this many other baby locusts and and if you go through enough of these generations then you can quickly generate swarms which are of the size of tens of billions of locusts and if you want to get from something very small to something very big then doubling in a short period of time getting exponential growth on the case is exactly the way to do it is exponential and things growing that quickly 
is it part of the universe? Like, is it, does evolution lead to exponential growth or is it a quirk? Is it, because it's so, it seems so destructive, yet I suppose creative that it feels like it could destroy the place. Sure. Why do we end up with exponential growth as a thing that happens like gravity or rain? Yeah, it, but you're exactly right. If you need something to, to grow in size quickly, then exponential growth is the way to do it. If you're thinking about the way that cells grow in a human embryo, you need to get from a single fertilized egg to a full human baby with trillions of cells inside nine months. And so at least at the initial stages, you get this this egg splitting every eight hours and then it splits again and again and you get quickly to 16, 32 and 64 cells. So if you want something to grow quickly, then absolutely exponential growth is the way to go. But a bit more generally, you're talking about evolution. In, in some senses, what is common to all these processes that grow exponentially is this phenomenon of self-replication. You have a quantity which can trigger um, multiple other events of the same type. So, you know, one share of a social media um, can can lead to more shares, or you can have diseases uh, spreading, which leads to more people able to spread the disease, or one pair of humans giving birth to two more children who can go on and have two more children and so on or more and then you get these exponential exponentially growing phenomena so it is sort of inherent property of of creatures which evolve that they have to self-replicate and 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 that does does give rise or would give rise in an unlimited uh, resource environment to exponential growth yeah where uh, next for the study of uh, disease we have a load of data and unfortunately, it's grim data that we're looking at and uh, real human suffering behind it. But a lot of people like you have been living through it yeah. as opposed to studying stuff from the past. Mm. What, what do you do with what you know? Yeah, so it's a huge question. You know, we're we're all thinking about how we're going to open up our societies after these lockdowns that we've had. We're thinking of how how safe is it to do that? Will we get our kids back to school? Uh, all these sorts of things are, are all questions that we need to be able to answer, and we need to learn from from what we did earlier on, from what can happen if you don't do anything, or if you delay your action too late, and we need to be very careful and cautious about how we open up our societies and make sure that we don't go too far. Uh, Certainly in the UK, uh, the chief medical officer has said, we're basically at the limits of what we can do in terms of easing. And then in a couple of weeks time, we're going to send kids back to school. And, you know, there's the potential for that to push R above one and and for the disease to start spreading again. So um, we've got to learn from both previous pandemics that we've seen, but also from our first experience of this one so that we can try and avoid a second wave or, or spike that we're seeing in lots of countries across the world and, and indeed in Europe as well, um, and, and try and make sure that we can open up as safely as possible. And uh, final question, because I've, I've started this podcast because I want I don't want people all to just start learning maths <laughs> and Lots of people have been hurt by maths from school. and uh, But this is a time when maybe more people are aware of it. What would you say to people who are, like all of us, just watching um, mathematical biology, big maths <laughs> unfold in front of them in terms of getting 
and understanding a way in to what's happening, but feeling that maths isn't for them or it's just something that people do in with enormous blackboards sure. uh, in dusty old universities. Right. Where do you where do you start to get a way in? Yeah, there's a huge perception problem with mathematics that that it, you know it's a dusty old textbook and that all the answers were written down in the back 400 years ago and that there's nothing more to be done but actually maths is a really alive uh, and and vibrant subject um i think uh seeing places where maths is being applied in the real world is is a really good way for people to at least start to appreciate that it is an important subject area and to provide motivation for studying it because half the time it's the it's the motivation that people lack and if you want to get good at maths you do need to keep revisiting the ideas that you are learning and you need to you need to have the motivation to do that so i think motivation is is part of the problem look i'm not going to say that maths is for everyone it it doesn't work for everyone it doesn't people haven't always had the best teachers and it isn't it isn't necessarily for everyone but having a little bit of understanding of some basic mathematical ideas can help you out in life. It can stop you getting ripped off at the supermarket. It can Mm. make sure that you uh, understand when something's growing exponential, that you shouldn't just expect it to increase slowly and steadily, that it's going to grow a huge amount. Equally, it should it should allow you to understand that just because the money in your bank account is growing exponentially, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's growing rapidly. So getting these subtleties and understandings of where maths can have a really important impact in people's everyday lives, I think that's the way forward to encouraging people and motivating people to to get into maths and to try and get a little bit more of an understanding of mathematics. And maybe as well too, when we are being speeched at by uh, politicians to just put a little jaundiced filter every yeah. time they try and blind us with numbers and the word billion are thrown yeah. around the place that to to even just take soccer from the fact that they probably don't know what they're talking about either exactly i think if you if you hear a number or statistic that's been wielded by a politician there is this tendency to just think that numbers are nuggets of hard truth and that we shouldn't question them but actually all that politician is doing is shining a light on a story from a particular angle and throwing one one number that suits them out there but actually yeah we need to be we need to be active and go and double check those numbers and and there are great fact checking websites out there there's reality check on the bbc there's snopes and they will often go through politician speeches and say well that number is true but we need to put it in context and context is key but certainly not being blinded by this illusion of certainty that a number is is a hard um, irrefutable objective truth and that actually we can we can go in and try and dig around and find out where that number comes from that's the key to to really not being fooled by by these politicians and to some extent the media or advertisers who are throwing numbers around at us and expecting us just to believe them at face value kit uh thanks so much now this isn't a book tour interview but it would be rude of me not <laughs> to mention that you currently have one out there sure. which uh, seems to have the prophetic title of the maths of life and death. Uh, what what next for you uh, in the next few weeks? Any more uh, any more conferences of the ilk of locusts or anything like that? Sure. So I'm sort of I'm still living my double life. Um, it's the big um, mathematical biology society of mathematical biology conference next week, which is all online now. So I'll be attending that, but. Um, as you say, I wrote this this book and I'm writing another book, which is called How to Expect the Unexpected, which is all about how to harness the power of maths in order to predict the future and, and to not make mistakes. 
uh, by 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 getting fooled um, when mathematics can can help lead the way out of those sort of dark tunnels that you can find yourself in. So I'm constantly trying to write, do podcasts, do news appearances as well, and try and just you know communicate as much mathematics as I possibly can, and spread the word that maths really can be useful and important, and sometimes it can even be fun as well. <laughs> I can hear the stirring music. Uh, I'll put I'll put Independence Day music over that in the edit. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kit. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. Cheers, Colm. That was Kit Yates. You can find his book, The Maths of Life and Death, in all places they sell books. He mentioned two things, the maths of going viral and also, when he was talking about locusts, randomness. Now, random isn't just something that's actually perfectly normal and it happened but gave you a mild surprise that somebody turned up in the pub and now random that was. Randomness is a hugely fascinating branch of maths that comes along in some spooky and weird places. I'll definitely come back to it and going viral later on in this hopefully infinite series. But for now, that's it for the first episode of The Function Room. If you've any comments or suggestions for topics, guests, constructive criticism, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Function Room Pod. And you can find me on Twitter, too often, at Colm O'Regan. If you do want to read novels about the vice chairperson of a rural tidy towns group fighting with Hollywood stars, Saudi conglomerates and the alt-right, check out my novels Anne Devine Handled with Care and Anne Devine Ready for Her Close-Up. Bye-bye. You take two away from six. Four.